are studying the book of John on Sunday nights, and so if you have a copy of God's Word, look with us to the book of John, chapter 20, and we're getting closer to the end. The book of John, chapter 20, well, let's begin reading with verse 19. John is writing this book for a reason. He tells us the reason. He says, I'm writing this book so that you may believe. He, his goal is for us to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The whole purpose of this gospel is that. Again, I remind you, there's, uh, there's one gospel, there's four books uh, called the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a lot of it's the same material. John, about 75% of it is different material. John is writing, giving us new information, things that took place, and it really helps us to see who Jesus is in a, in a different angle. And so as we look at this passage, I want to remind you, Jesus has died on the cross. He was buried. Third day, the body's gone. Mary and the ladies come to the tomb. The tomb is empty. They run and tell the disciples. John and Peter, they run to the tomb. John believes. The Bible says he saw and he believed. Peter is not yet convinced. He doesn't know what's going on. Mary stays there. Jesus appears to Mary. He tells her that I have arisen, and so now she goes and tells the disciples. That's where we are. We pick up the story in the book of John, chapter 20, verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and sighed. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of their if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them, and if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came. The doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Pray with me. Father, tonight as we look at this passage, Father, as we examine it, let us again see it in our mind's eyes that, Father, we'll, we'll see it and understand it. And help us, Father, as we deal with maybe our doubts. 
Help us, Father, to strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This weekend was the coronation of King Charles, and I did not watch it, full disclosure. I watched a little bit of it, and, and what amazed me, and I, I knew this intellectually, i just forgotten, is how much ceremony is based on the church, how much ceremony is, is based on the Bible. And not only that, the people know what to do. And so when I turned on the television, the, uh, the, the priest, preacher was saying, he is risen. And they all said, see, you could have been there. You had been, yeah, and that just amazed me. I, I thought, here are these secular people at this, this coronation, and they knew exactly what to say, but it was the phrase, he is risen. Now, that's three words in the English language. There's only one word in the Greek language, agero. It means to awaken, to rouse from the dead. That is the key to our faith. He is risen. You, you, you take that out, we have no religion. We have no relationship. We have no God. You take that out because Jesus is alive. That's the story. That's the gospel story. And so 2,000 years ago, the scripture claimed that God became flesh. He lived a life without sin. He went to a cross. He died for our sins. He was buried. Third day, he arose. He is risen. That's the story. So what does that have to do with us 2,000 years later? Well, if he's not risen, we have no hope. If he's not risen... We're not, we shouldn't even be here. We're wasting our time. Everything is based on that fact that he is risen. So last week we saw that Jesus is risen. And now Mary has told the disciples, and now Jesus appears to them. So what we're going to do is something a little different tonight. We're going to take a really verse-by-verse approach tonight, look at this passage. There's a lot of information here. I want you to see all the dynamics here. So really have your Bibles ready because we're going to look at more verse by verse. It begins in verse 19. John is saying, so when it was evening on the day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. John begins by giving us details. He says, I want to tell you exactly when this happened. Did you notice how he says it? When it was evening on that day, in case you didn't understand what day he's talking about, he says it again, the first day of the week. Because what John has done, he said that evening, somewhere between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. And John is saying, on that day, the first day of the week, he said, I'm not doing Roman time. I want you to understand what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm doing Roman time because the Jews looked at evening and morning. John is saying, no, it's that day. The day Jesus arose, that evening, John is emphatic. We know when this took place. On that day, that night, Jesus appeared. And they were in in a place and the doors were shut. Now, why? They were scared. Jesus had been crucified. Jesus had been accused of trying to overthrow the Roman government. Jesus has been accused of blasphemy. At worst, or at best, the Jews could take the the disciples and cast them out. At worst, the Romans could come and accuse them of treason. They are hiding. They are afraid. And so they're in a room with the door shut. John even says the next part. They're more scared of the Jews. He said they're more scared of being kicked out than being killed. Look what he says. And then Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, 
peace with you. The door is shut. Supernaturally, Jesus appears to them. And he says to them, peace be with you. Shalom, Elikim. Now, that was a common expression, but not at this point. If you go back and look at the last official words Jesus taught to his disciples before his death, chapter 16, he talked about peace. This is a different kind. Jesus is coming to them, saying to them, peace be with you. What was he saying? These men ran away from him. They ran. Peter walked close to Jesus in the courtyard, but these guys ran. And there is Jesus standing before them, and they're wondering, is it going to be different? Is he angry? Is he mad? I mean, and so what does he say? Peace be with you. It's okay, guys. You're forgiven. But also, peace be with you. Because I died on the cross, you can have peace with the Father. And because you can have peace with the Father, you can have peace with yourself. And because you can have peace with yourself, you can have peace with others. Just one Greek word changed the setting. Peace be with you. Verse 20. When he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And then the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. He showed them the evidence. This is not an actor. This is not someone pretending to be Jesus. This is Jesus. He showed them his hands. He showed them the side. And they rejoice. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also sent you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 21 is John's version of the Great Commission. What John is saying here is Jesus giving the disciples, the apostles, their assignment. As the Father has sent me, I also sent you. That that word sent is we get the word apostle from it. You see, Jesus was sent from God the Father as an apostle here. Now, Jesus is sending these men as apostles into a lost world. And they're going to need help as they are going out. An apostle was someone who represented, had the authority. And so now they need the authority to do what Jesus is telling them to do. And so that's why in verse 22, they received the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, you see many passages of the Holy Spirit coming upon people. Something's going to take place in the book of Acts, and it's going to be different. The Holy Spirit's going to come in people. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could come upon someone and then leave someone. Samson. The Bible says the Spirit came upon Samson. Then the Bible says the Spirit left Samson. But in the New Testament, after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit enters, he doesn't leave. So what Jesus is doing here is something about the Old Testament. He's given them 50 days of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, later, when Pentecost, they will be filled with the Holy Spirit. But right now, Jesus is saying, I am giving you the authority and the power to do what I'm going to give this assignment. You're going to know what to do, and you're going to have the authority to do it. He's going to commission the disciples, and then he's going to empower them for the job. Listen, whenever God gives you an assignment, he always gives you the power to do it. Whenever God gives you an assignment, he always equips you to do it. And so he's empowering them with the Holy Spirit. So what's the message? Again, verse 21. In, in verse 22, he says he received the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now, he is not giving them the power to forgive sin. Only God can do that. Now, what he's doing to them is saying, I'm sending you out to bring forgiveness. And if you don't tell them that message, their sins are going to be retained. But if you go and tell them this message, now their sins can be forgiven. By the way, it's the same message for us. If we don't tell people about coming to know Christ, how are they going to come to Christ? And if we don't tell them, if they don't find a way to salvation, their sins will be retained. And so Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out there. Just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you out. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit power, and this is the encouragement. If you don't do this, their sins are going to be retained. And so here's the great commission to these apostles. Again, only, the, only God can forgive sin. So now they have been charged, and now they have been commissioned. But someone's missing. Not everyone's in the room. Verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, means twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He missed out. He wasn't there. He didn't see Jesus. He didn't hear the commissioning. He wasn't there. Now, we do something to Thomas. I think it's really unfair. We give him a nickname. I don't know if you've ever gotten a nickname. It's hard to get rid of a nickname. You get one as a child, you'll have that nickname maybe for the rest of your life. I've done funerals, and people say, he goes by this name. Where, where do you get that? Third grade. He's 85 now. You get stuck with a nickname. I, I think maybe the greatest example of that was a man named Douglas Corrigan. On July 17, 1938, he, he loaded 320 gallons of fuel, uh, uh, fuel and 16 gallons of oil in his monoplane, and he was going to leave from New York City and fly to Long Beach, California. This 31-year-old pilot left at 5.17 a.m., and no one knows what happened. Instead of going west to California, for some reason, he went over the Atlantic Ocean. And he started flying over the Atlantic Ocean, then he got into a fog. He didn't know where he was. And so he is flying, he has a faulty compass, there's no radio uh, combined, there's big embarrassment. When the fog lifted, there's no desert where it should have been, there's water. He didn't know where he was, he, I, he just kept flying. And finally he landed in Ireland, Dublin, Ireland. When he exited the plane, they came up and said, what's wrong? He said, I flew the wrong way. Well, he came back to America as a hero. They actually gave him a ticker tape parade in New York City. He became a celebrity, became wealthy for this, but he had a nickname. He couldn't get rid of it. He ran for Congress, but he couldn't get rid of the nickname. He, he was a, a 
ran an orange uh, grove in California, very successful businessman. He never got rid of the nickname Wrong Way Corrigan because of one mistake. Well, Thomas is the same way. I mean, there are many other names we could give him. We, we could call him Disciple Thomas. He was a disciple. He was with Jesus. Jesus called him to be one of the 12. They, they still say he's one of the 12, even in this passage. We could call him Devoted Thomas. He was devoted to Jesus. Remember in John chapter 11, when Jesus said that Lazarus is dead and they were going to go to Bethany, and, and Thomas said in verse 16, let us go that we may die with him. He said, they're going to kill Jesus. We might as well go and die with Jesus. So his nickname could have been devoted. His nickname could have been deductive Thomas. Thomas was a, was a person that wanted to think things out, figure things out. So in John chapter 14, when, when Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you, and where I go, you know, Thomas is the one who said, wait a minute, God, wait a minute, Jesus, look, you know, where are you going? We don't know the way. And that's when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But that's not how we know Thomas. We know Thomas as doubting, doubting Thomas because of one event in this passage. Now, why was he doubting Thomas? Because he didn't believe Jesus came from the grave. Now, before we condemn him tonight, let me be his lawyer. I submit to you, he saw Jesus die. That's his image. Jesus was on a cross, wearing a crown of thorns, bloodied, a spear thrust in his side. He saw the body after it had been scourged. He saw him die. You don't expect someone who's dead to be alive. No one, no one expected that, not even in that time period. You can't blame him. All, all he remembers is that bloody image of the cross. I submit to you also, he has not seen Jesus alive. Mary told the disciples, but... They had to see Jesus before they believed it. I mean, the apostles told Thomas, but he had not seen Jesus. Now, by the way, where was Thomas? We don't know. You see what you miss when you don't come to church? This story would have been different if he'd just been there. Now, we know he wasn't there because he was lost, because it says he's one of the 12. He's still part of the group. And we know he's not there because he's afraid of dying because he said, I'm willing to die for Jesus. And he's, we know he's not there. He wasn't there because he, he didn't care where Jesus was. He did care. He said, where are you going, Jesus? Probably. He's just broken down with grief. His Lord, Jesus, had been killed. Third, I submit to you. He never said he wouldn't believe. Look what he says. Verse 25. He said, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. Thomas never said, I will never, ever, ever believe. All he's saying is, I need some evidence. I need to see those nail prints. And I, if I could thrust my hand into the side, I would believe. I need the evidence. Now, if you saw someone die in front of you, wouldn't you want some evidence? That's all Thomas is saying. I'm not there yet. I can't believe this. So what happens? 
Verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were there, were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, and the doors having been shut, stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand, put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. I have looked at this passage many, many times, and just recently I noticed something. Eight days earlier, the doors were shut, and Jesus came and stood in the midst. Verse 26, the doors were shut. Jesus came in and stood in their midst. Eight days earlier, Jesus came in. Twice he said, peace with, be with you. Verse 26, Jesus says, peace be with you. Eight days earlier, in verse 20, he offered the disciples, look at my hands and my side. Verse 27, he shows Thomas his hand and his side. He does exactly the same thing to Thomas as he did to the apostles. He didn't change anything. He did exactly what he gave to the apostles. And I love the fact that, that Thomas sees this. Verse 28 and says, Lord, my Lord, my God. I love the fact that Thomas, remember what he said? I have to touch. I have to put my hand in the, in the side. Thomas doesn't touch Jesus at all. Once he sees Jesus, he knows it's Jesus. Thomas embraced him. Charles Spurgeon, the, the great English preacher, said, when you have doubts, just look at the nail-scarred hands. That's what he did. He said, I, I have to touch them. But then he saw Jesus. I don't have to touch him at all. Thomas wanted evidence, and Jesus revealed himself to him. And Thomas embraced him. Now, now Jesus says in verse 27, be not unbelieving, but believing. The idea is, he's saying to Thomas, he said, I'm challenging you. You got to stop unbelieving. You got to start believing, Thomas. You got to have faith. Now, what what is Jesus talking about? Well, Jesus is talking about, Thomas, you had the testimony of the apostles. That's all you need. You don't need to see me to believe. You don't need to see the physical resurrected body of Jesus to believe. All you need, Thomas, is to believe the testimony of the apostles. Guess what? Today, you don't need to see the body resurrection of Jesus. You just need to believe the testimony of the apostles of the word of God. That's what he's saying. Thomas, there are going to be a lot of people that will never see me. Blessed are those who hear and they believe. And Thomas proclaimed maybe the most powerful message in Scripture about Jesus. And he says in verse 28, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. The first word is, you know, curious. It means king, Lord. It it means my ruler, the one I will serve. The next word is the word God, theos. He's saying you are God. You're the God of creation. You're the eternal God. Now, by the way, this is how John begins the book. Remember, the word was God. But no one in the book of John had ever called Jesus God himself. Thomas is the first person. You are God. You are my Lord and God. One statement, he said, you are on the throne of the universe. One statement, he says, you're on the throne of my heart. You are my Lord, my God. That is an incredible confession. He sees Jesus, and he says, you're the Lord, and you're God, and you're the one I will serve forever and ever and ever. 
Thomas said, I went from, I will, you know, I, I don't believe to now, you're my Lord and my God. It's an incredible story. Now, let me ask you two questions about this passage. Why did John put it in here? Matthew, Mark, and Luke didn't. Why was this story so important to John? Remember, John is very selective in what he's putting because he tells us in, in verse 31, he said, there are a lot of stories I could tell you, but this is the story he wanted us to hear. If you think back during this entire study of John, John is so selective. If you go back and study the book of John, John only gives us 21 days in the life of Jesus. Maybe 22. There's a little debate on one of them. Just 21 days. He just gives us some of the encounters that he makes. But this one is the climax of the book. Now, chapter 21, we're going to be looking at in the next two weeks. It's almost like mid-season credits. You know, he's telling us what's going to happen to some people. But this is the end. This, this is the climax of the book. My Lord, my God. Why would he do that? And secondly, why did he appear to Thomas this way? Well, the answer is the same. Thomas is an apostle. To be an apostle, you had to see the risen Savior. By definition. He doesn't need to see Jesus to be a believer. You know, by the faith, we can accept Christ. But in Acts chapter 1, they said one of the requirements of to be an apostle, you have to see Jesus. The reason is Jesus. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 calls himself an apostle. He said, because I've seen the risen Jesus. And so the first meeting of the disciples were commissioned to preach in verse 23 and given the Holy Spirit and given their message. And Thomas missed all of that. And here's John saying, they're back together. They're all apostles. They're going to go out and share the gospel. Again, Jesus isn't chastising Thomas because he hadn't seen Jesus, but because he didn't believe the teachings of the apostles. That's why Jesus said what he did to Thomas. Verse 29, because you, verse 29, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. The apostles have seen the risen Lord. Now they're going to go out and tell the world about Jesus. And they're going to hear it by faith and accept Jesus as we do. So maybe you're here tonight. Maybe, maybe you have some doubts like Thomas. Again, Thomas just said, I've got some questions. Be open. And Jesus will show you. He didn't come there and say, how dare you, Thomas. He came in and said, all right, Thomas, this is what you want to know. I'll give you the answer. So, do you have doubts tonight? If you do, I encourage you just to think of the, some, some of this, some of the following. Consider the, the historical record. We know historically a man named Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago. We know that. We know it because, again, we know this year, 2023, A.D., the year of the, our Lord. Why? They changed the calendar system because of it. We know from ancient writings, outside of Scripture, a guy by the name of Josephus, a, Jew, a Jewish historian, writes about this man named Jesus who, who arose from the grave. We, we, we know that Romans wrote about him. We, we know a man named Jesus died on the cross. 
And the rumor, according to these secular historians, he's not there. Now, they are saying there's a resurrection. Why would you make up that story? Why create a story that's going to offend the Jews and offend the Gentiles? And not only that, if you're going to make up a story, this is the world's worst way to make up a story. The first witness was a woman. A woman who could not testify in court. Women in that world could not testify. They were considered second-class citizens. I mean, if you're going to make up this kind of story, the disciples would have been the one, not a woman. Not only that, this was a public crucifixion. This wasn't a poisoning or a drowning. This was in front of people, in front of officials. If you're going to make up this story, you would not have him be crucified in front of a lot of people. And then, where's the body? I've said it many times. What happened to the body? If you can explain what happened to the body of Jesus Christ, you will destroy Christianity. And I know there are people out there who say, well, he didn't die. Again, you look at the crucifixion, the scourging, and tell me he just passed out. And then there are others. I've heard people say, oh, everybody went to the wrong tomb. Really? Everyone? Uh, then say, well, his disciples stole the body. Those cowards? They're behind locked doors. They ran when Jesus was alive. You think they're going, well, after he's dead, take on the Roman Empire? Then they say, oh, well, the authorities stole the body. Really? Well, they could have stopped all this by taking the body of Jesus down Main Street, Jerusalem. Say, there he is. What happened to the body? Explain it. Secondly, consider this. Consider the eyewitnesses. There are many eyewitnesses to the story. Mary Magdalene, Mary and the other women, Peter, the disciples, all the apostles, 500 disciples, James, the apostle Paul. These stories were around when the church was growing. You could go to these witnesses and they would tell you, well, I saw them. You said, well, maybe they're lying. Really? What an incredible conspiracy that these people are making up the same story. Consider the early church. How did the early church come into being? How is it possible that the Jews would change their style of worship, change their day of worship, and change their focus of worship? I mean, they went from worshiping on Saturday to Sunday. They went from praying to the Father to Jesus. They went from preaching a, uh, 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 the Ten Commandments to preaching Jesus is the only way. How would they do that? They went from believing in an animal sacrifice, circumcision, dietary laws, and many other laws regarding physical purity to saying that Jesus was the temple and Jesus is the only way. It'd be like if all of a sudden Southern Baptists decided we're going to worship midnight on Tuesday, sacrifice animals, and call God Bubba. That would make no sense. And not only that, the this church changed the world because in a few hundred years, it will become the state religion. How do you explain that? A couple of years ago, Wall Street Journal was talking about this. The author of the Wall Street Journal said this about the rise of the church. There is no accounting for the rise of Christianity without weighing the revolutionary effect of these nobodies or what they call the resurrection, in quotation. Their encounter with one whom they embrace as the risen Lord, whom they first knew as his itinerant Jewish rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, and who died an agonizing and shameful death on a Roman cross outside of Jerusalem. Here's a secular writer saying the only way you can explain the, the church is because they really believe this man named Jesus arose. Now you've got to consider the disciples' courage. I mean, all these guys ran away. What happened to them? Well, all but one was martyred. You don't die for a lie. 
You die for what you believe it to be true. You see, if, and if we don't even have all that, we don't need all that. We have the Word of God, the testimony of the apostles, saying He is risen. That's really all we need. But if you ever have doubts, the evidence is there that Jesus is the Son of God. He came, He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross for our sins. He was buried on the third day he rose. And he's coming back. That is the message. And by the way, you can know all those facts and still be lost. You have to put your faith in that by giving your life to Jesus. And so tonight, if you've never given your life to Christ, tonight's the night. Those of you watching online, if you've never given your life to Christ, will you give your life to Christ tonight? By admitting that you're a sinner, saying, I cannot save myself, God, I have messed up. And I believe, I do believe the story that Jesus did die for me. was buried in the third day of rose. And I confess, I choose to follow him in every area of my life. If you would make that decision, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005. But if you're here tonight, and you've never given your life to Christ, we do so tonight. Would you stand and bow your heads? My Father in heaven, the evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And so, Father, my prayer is that if there's anyone watching online or anyone here tonight who's never given their life to Christ, Father, let tonight be that night. Let them embrace that message. And Father, in faith, ask Jesus into their life. Father, for the rest of us who are believers, I pray that tonight will remind us that we have a job, a duty to tell the gospel story to a lost world, knowing, Father, that you will empower us and equip us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.